But as you know, we're studying the book of 2 Corinthians, and today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bible, electronic device, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's a wonderful subject today. I believe this is the sixth lesson out of a series of ten. So if you're counting or have a calendar that you're trying to keep up with, um, we're doing ten Mondays in a row, and I think this is number six. And uh, we, uh, we will be, six and seven will be in chapter five of Second Corinthians. Hope everybody got their email with the lesson and the questions and all that. If, if not, see me afterwards. And today's lesson is about the resurrection, which is uh, near and dear to all of our hearts, right? And if you're like me, uh, you patiently are waiting for that wonderful event because the body you have now is falling apart, right? <laughs> Say it's not just me. <laughs> and we look for that perfect body that's coming, but we got to have patience, patience and wait for the Lord's time. Patience, just like the characters in this movie clip. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think that's, boy, that hits home with me. I am anxious all the time. I'm trying to get things done. And when you get it done, it's like, okay, what's next? And there's just... You know, I have this longing in me. I'm anxious all the time. I just wonder, you know, if there's not something else. And that's what Lewis was saying. We were actually made, you know, to have this relationship with God in a perfect existence in heaven. And because of sin, we found ourselves in this world. But we weren't made for a fallen world. We were made, you know, for the perfect world of God, the kingdom of God. Lewis all said, once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? And I think that's really true. You know, we can count on our relationship with God as a guarantee that we will be with him forever. The Bible's clear that we consist of both a body and a spirit, a physical body and a spirit slash soul. Um, some people disagree. Uh, they think uh, there's a spirit and a soul. Uh, that'd be fine. Uh, there's a lot of places in the Bible that use the term interchangeably, and always it's also used separately, so nobody really knows. But we consist of both body and soul or spirit, uh, two different parts at least, possibly three. This body is the temporary abode of my eternal spirit. So what about eternity, you know? Well, when is that going to happen? Today's passage presents the certainty as to the final future of our eternity. And we will be clothed in a new body, a heavenly body, fit for eternal life in God's presence. The Bible says that flesh and blood cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're going to need a body that is suited for a heavenly existence, a heavenly body uh, that the Bible talks about. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 7, uh, last week we saw, uses the image, Paul uses the image of this body, it's an earthen vessel. 
It's like God made it out of the dirt or the ground, which he actually did. And if we said that if you analyze your body as to the elements that are in it, it's the exact elements that are in the dirt of the ground. I mean, God just took the basic elements and formed our body and breathed life into it. You know, the old dust to dust, well, that's exactly what happens to this body. It goes back to dust. And so Paul uses the image of this earthen vessel that has the spirit, your spirit, and also the spirit of God in it. Uh, and so uh, that kind of sets up that image that he's talking about. But in chapter 5, he uses a different image of a tent. Paul happened to be a tent maker so that they would understand uh, what he's talking about. And, of course, a tent is a uh, temporary and transitory abode, whereas he's going to say your permanent eternal home is what awaits you. Uh, at the resurrection, and that's what he really yearns for. He says he groans for it. He looks forward to it for that eternal home. Uh, this body is uh, great. It's fine. It works, but as you know, it's not what we actually need for eternity. It ages. It breaks down, and uh, it will eventually die, as everyone does. Uh, so, we will, in the future, receive our true and perfect home for, for our spirit that's eternal and heavenly. Do you remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? Sure. Why did Dorothy take her long trip down the yellow brick road? Anybody remember? What was she looking for? How to get home. Yes. She's looking to get home. And that's kind of like the voyage we have. We're, we're looking. We're trying to get home. That's what this life is all about. we got to live now, but we're really seeking, looking for meaning and purpose and fulfillment because we want to get home to our true home in heaven with the Lord. Uh, so Dor Dorothy had this desperate desire for her true home, longing to get home, and she went through all that stuff for three hours, you know, with all the midgets and the witches and the whole deal, the fake wizard and the whole deal, trying to find out how to get home, all those adventures. And she perseveres because she is motivated to get home. And that's what we're doing here. We persevere because we're motivated, looking for that perfect body and that eternal existence in heaven with the Lord. So finally, during, you know, through the course of that movie, she, she begins, you can see her growing up, you know, maturing and, and coming to grips with reality the wizard couldn't help her. The tin man, the lion, the scarecrow, none of them could help her. Finally, the Glinda asks her, what have you learned? What do you know? And she says, I know that my heart's desire is for home. And that, that's, that's the way we are. That's what Lewis was talking about. Our, our fulfillment that we're looking for, we know there's a, a better home for us. And, of course, God has promised it. And remember how Dorothy gets back? She clicks her heels and she says over and over, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And that's really what Paul's talking about in chapter 4. He's saying, I, I put up with everything. Remember all the stuff he had to put up with in chapter 4? He says, 
you know, I'm afflicted, I'm crushed, I'm perplexed, uh, and on and on, and persecuted. They beat me down, they whip me, they put me in jail, they threaten me, I'm on death row. I live every day, as he says, with the dying of Jesus, meaning I know that that's going to be my fate, they're going to martyr me, and I go out every day knowing that that's just around the corner. And what's his motivation? Why would he do that? Uh, same thing as Dorothy. <laughs> now, I normally don't get my theology from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but in this case, it kind of works, right? He was saying, I do this because I'm on this voyage to get home. And I know God's going to eventually take me there. And so I get up every day and persevere. Um, and I believe God is going to take care of me. Uh, so he faced death daily, and uh, I wonder what was on his gravestone. Groaning for glory is what I think they put on Paul's gravestone, because that's what he says here in chapter 5. He also says it in Romans 8. It's kind of something that he says in his letters, you know, because he's, he's just saying, you know, your body, you know how you groan, you know, when things don't go exactly right, or you long for something that's better, you know. Like your wife tells you to change the light bulb, and you go, oh. <laughs> or your husband doesn't, you know, put the uh, commode seat back down, and you go in and go, oh. We groan all the time, even without knowing it, because things just aren't right. We're looking for something better. We long for what's better, and that's what he's talking about. I groan uh, in this uh, impermanent, imperfect, painful body because I'm looking forward to, yearning for, longing for, anticipating what's better than the re uh, resurrection body. Uh, on uh, other epitaphs and gravestones, these are supposed to be actual ones, on the tombstone of Mel Blanc, you know, the guy that did the illustrations and the cartoons for, uh, and the voice for Porky Pig, on his tombstone, it says, the, 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 that, that's all, folks. <laughs> Here's another one. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. <laughs> Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Solomon Pease. Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. <laughs> Another one said, here lies a lawyer and a good man. And somebody said, how'd they get two men in the same grave? <laughs> Some people were walking through and they saw one that said, as you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And the guy scribbled in, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> and they were right, because if you don't know where you're going, it's not safe to die, right? I advise against it if you're not sure about it. Uh, and Paul was absolutely certain of his 
next life in his resurrection body. And so in chapter 5, the context of chapter 5, again, was kind of set up in chapter 4 because he spent so much time talking about all the afflictions and all the difficulty and all the trouble and all the pain that he went through. And uh, his situation, he said, I, but I still get up, I persevere, I overcome all that. I may be knocked down, but I get up, uh, etc. So facing death, he persevered because he had this spiritual perspective. You can see it in the last uh, verse of chapter 4. His spiritual perspective, he says, while we look not at the things which are, which are seen, the temporal things here, we don't focus on that. What do we focus on? We focus on the things which are not seen, the promises of heaven. For the things which are seen are temporary, temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he has an eternal heavenly perspective, a spiritual perspective, and that really sets up uh, what it is that he's looking forward to, what he expects in the future, uh, what uh, keeps Paul going, right? So he says, we know that if the, this earthly tent, now there's the image he uses, that this is a tent, you know. It's, think of a, this old canvas tent, you know, that you had when you were in the Boy Scouts. I lasted in the Boy Scouts one camp out. <laughs> Went home and says, never again. <laughs> I remember our son thought that would be a great idea to go in the Boy Scouts, and I said, no, you're not going to like it. He says, oh, yeah, we're going. And so they went, and uh, these dads that they went with, they camped out in a ravine, uh, and they set their tents up in this ravine. I, I have no idea why. And, of course, it rained, <laughs> and they were flooded out. And the guy came back, brought him back, and looked like, you know, a wet, drowned, wet rat or something when he deposited our son at the door. And he had this big pile of wet clothes and stuff, and he handed me a bill for like $120 for a new uh, sleeping bag. <laughs> I said, why do you need a new sleeping bag? He said, because he got the other one wet. I went, what? And then, of course, I paid him, and he left. And I said, how did you get your sleeping? Yeah, I got the whole story. But a tent, think of this canvas structure, you know, there's probably tears in it. It's old. The poles are bent, if I remember, you know, after from being slammed into the ground over and over and frayed rope, you know, holding it to the pegs and everything. Very temporary is the point, the tent's. A tent is. And so he uses that as an image for this body, earthen vessel, just this common clay pot. And now in chapter 5, it's like this uh, temporary tent that for now houses our souls. So Paul says we can know, the good news is, it keeps him going, is he, can, he knows and we should know where we're going afterwards. How can we know? Uh, well, of course, the good news about, you know, that, that everybody's going to uh, physically die, and the cost of living rose over 50% in the last 10 years, but the cost of dying has only risen 30%. So it's actually a bargain. 
That's, that's good news. She says, that's not funny. <laughs> All right. So Paul says we can know something that's very important that will keep us going no matter what. We have biblical promises. How can he know? How can we know, you might say? Oh, you may have faith, but you can't know. Well, just think about this. In John 6, 40, these apostles were in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus promised them, think about who Jesus is. In John 6, 40, he said, It is the will of God that everyone who believes in the Son of God may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And then John 14, 1, at the Last Supper, what did Jesus say? I am leaving, and I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and get you. The promises of Jesus himself. And in Matthew 22, they were there when he was arguing with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus said, what does the scripture say? And he quoted from Exodus 3. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, notice it's in, you know, present tense. I am the God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. He's the God of the living, not the dead. And, of course, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uh, had a lengthy discourse. It's really the best passage about the resurrection. And Paul said, we shall all be bodily changed. He said, I've gotten this information directly from Christ, that we shall all be bodily changed in a moment. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable resurrection body. And 1 Thessalonians 4, he also wrote, The Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we who are alive shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord forever and be with him forever. So Paul had that biblical perspective. Uh, remember also that the apostles were there at the transfiguration and not only saw the, not only saw the glory of Jesus in his uh, resurrected form, but they also saw Moses and Elijah were there. They were alive, see? And so Paul also, you will find out in a couple of weeks, uh, will tell us that he actually was taken up to heaven and given a glimpse, given a view of the glory of God in heaven and the heavenly host. So we have it on pretty good authority that Paul knew. He really did know this was true, and it was a reality to him. So he had a biblical perspective uh, every day while he faced death. He said, I know I have to face death every day, but I have a biblical perspective, a eternal perspective, and I'm looking forward to that new body. This body is just a temporary vessel, like a tent that houses our eternal soul, and I look forward to that permanent, perfect, eternal, glorious body that awaits us all. And you think, wow, I, still, I can't believe how, how he perseveres. How does he do it? How does he find that strength? Well, four things I can think of. Number one, he focuses on the promises of Christ, and he believes in them wholeheartedly. They're a reality to him. Secondly, all the apostles, as I said, were eyewitnesses 
to the resurrected Christ. They saw Christ resurrected. They knew he was dead, and then now he's alive, and so they now can believe that that, his promises that that will happen for them as well. So they were all eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. I love it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, in fact, when he was up there in the Galilee, Christ appeared to over 500 people, and most of them are still alive. Why is that an important point? The people reading that letter can go seek those guys out and, you know, interview them. Eyewitness accounts. He wouldn't have said that. He wouldn't have written that if it wasn't true with all these guys that are still alive. Thirdly, he says, the Holy Spirit that indwells me, the Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit. You know intuitively the Spirit of God in you knows and has let you know that there is something more. And God does have a plan for you in eternity. And that you will, the spirit that's in you will continue to live. Somebody told me not too long ago, you know, I may be 70, but I still kind of feel like I'm 30. And I think that's because, and I think we all feel that way. I know I do. And I think it's because that soul that's in us is eternal. And so it really is, it doesn't age. So the soul that's in you doesn't age. It's just this earthen vessel. It's just this tent that's starting to have some patchwork needed on it, right? But our soul in us remains the same. So the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. And then fourthly, of course, as I said, Paul had been there to heaven and seen all the saints that are already there. Therefore, heaven is not just a destination to Paul. He's not just, okay, it's another destination. It is a motivation it keeps him going. And that's what we need it to be as well. We need to be motivated to live now because of what we believe the future holds for us. We look forward to that time, and so we're motivated now to serve God and glorify Him now as we look forward to that on a daily basis. So motivation. Uh, three principles that we'll find here in 2 Corinthians 5, that motivate him. Number one, you'll see the next body, as promised, is way better. It's not just a little better. It's way better. It's perfect. This body is imperfect in many ways. Not only is it aging and breaking down, not as good as it used to be. Of course, it never was. You ever said that? Well, I used to be able to do that. Well, you couldn't do any of that stuff you claim you could do. I used to be able to do, of course, I never could. Um, so three principles. The next body is way better. More, It is completely perfect. So naturally, we're grown for that. Naturally, Paul looks forward to that, anticipates that body. Secondly, uh, we understand what happens when we die. He says, we know. I mean, that's a pretty good deal to know that know the end from the beginning. We know now what's going to happen, and it's good. We already know that, and we look forward to that even. We know that, that departure of our spirit is to be immediately with the Lord. You step out of this body, and you're with the Lord immediately. Um, Acts 7, 59, 
And you go, well, wait a minute, uh, what happens? Okay, well, let me get this straight, see if I can figure the timeline. Uh, when you physically die, there's a lag for most of us, not everybody, but there'll be a lag for most people between uh, when you physically die and when there's a resurrection uh, at the rapture or when Christ comes back, whichever you look at, however you look at it, so in the future sometime. Uh, well, what happens to you between then? And I think the Scripture is very clear that your spirit and soul goes directly to be with God. Let me give you some for instance. Um, Acts 7, 59, when Stephen died, you know, he was the first martyr there in Jerusalem. And Stephen said, as he was being stoned, said, Lord, receive my spirit to you now. So he saw himself going directly up to heaven then. Luke 23, 43, remember the story of the thief on the cross? What did Jesus say to him? Because he believed, Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Matthew 17, uh, the transfiguration, they saw Moses and Elijah. He, they were, you know, already glorified in, in heaven. Uh, Philippians 1.23, Paul is in de on death row in, in Rome, and he writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, don't worry about me. I, having the desire to depart and be with Christ immediately, He's actually had that desire, but he saw it as something that would happen immediately. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, today, you'll see that it says uh, pre that he prefers to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So even when this body dies, it's a better deal for your spirit soul to be at home with the Lord, even though it also looks forward to the future resurrection. I hope I hope I've made all that clear. But the net result is when you die today or tomorrow, whenever it is, you, your soul, your spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. In Revelation 6, John gets to see into heaven, and what does he see? He sees the spirits of all the dead saints already in heaven there before the throne of God. So I think it's pretty clear. Um, and then later we will receive a glorified heavenly body at the resurrection. Uh, the third principle is that this knowledge that we have, that we believe, that the next body is way better, perfect, and we know what's going to happen, this motivates us to serve him now. I think he's clear about that. That keeps him going now. And he looks, he says in Romans 8, he says, all the suffering now is not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will receive in heaven. And since he's been there and seen it, I think he's a pretty good authority. And I think he's a very credible witness. He wrote half of the New Testament. And if you've read his letters, the man is a genius. He is brilliant. It's almost as if he was inspired by some higher authority. <laughs> of course he was. That's, a lot of you guys went, oh. So I, all right. So getting into the text, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that if he's got full of, fully confident as he faces death, that if 
the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. So again, the image of this body being house for his soul, a spirit. If that's torn down, if it's broken, if it's killed, we have in the future a building from God, another building, another structure that will house our spirit. And it's a house not made with human hands. It's one that's eternal in the heavens. It's an eternal, eternal heavenly body. For indeed, in this house, we groan. We look forward to it. We long for it. We groan for our next body to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. That's what we look forward to. So much so that we, oh, oh I can't wait to hit it. Inasmuch as we, having, been, having put it on, should not be found naked. So your spirit, your soul, uh, needs a body. It's, it's not complete without a body. God made us to have a body. And so, you know, when you say your creeds in church and stuff and what you actually believe, if you remember, you always say the bodily resurrection which is important, especially to Paul's audience. Uh, Corinth is in Greece. All the Greek religion and Greek philosophers uh, were dualists, which means they also saw that you are made up of a body and a spirit, but they said the body was evil. This is, you know, every culture and every religion has some way of working with evil, some way to explain evil. And the Greek religion, they said, uh, the body is just naturally evil. The soul spirit is good. The spirit is good. So we look forward to the evil body being dead and the spirit living on. So they saw eternal life as disembodied spirits, you know, roaming around. And, of course, I think the world out there kind of sees that too because it thinks there's ghosts, you know, that are people actually, you know, that have come back or something, I don't know. But uh, they have this view of disembodied spirit. No, God made us to have a body, but that we'll have a new body. It'll be like a caterpillar, you know, a caterpillar that you would swear if you saw a caterpillar and a butterfly, you'd swear they got no relationship at all. But that caterpillar uh, becomes a butterfly. The caterpillar is made to walk on a plant and eat the plant, you know, and the butterfly was made to fly, right? Two different completely, but they both have bodies. And that's why uh, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection body. It is a body, but it is a different body. It is a body suited for a different purpose, which is eternal life in heaven. So, uh, we long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch having put it on, we shall not be found naked. Verse 4, for indeed while we are in this tent, this dwelling, this physical body, we groan because it's not quite right. Not only is there physical pain, not only do we age, not only do you know, start breaking down, you get up, you try to uh, stretch in the morning and you go, oh, yeah, but even worse, we struggle morally and ethically. The temptations are overwhelming, right? You, please, yes. You know, you're making me feel like it's just me and it's just, yeah, 
the moral ethical dilemmas that we wrestle with every day and the rationalizations that I hear you people come up with. <laughs> I know, it's me too. Yeah, we're excellent at that. We can make excuses for anything. But all that does is just repress the guilt. And so we struggle and we groan with that, that guilt that's repressed. And so that's what he's talking about as well. For indeed, we are in this tent. We groan, being burdened, beat down, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. We want that better body in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, eternal life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. So God has also given us and dwelled us with His Spirit, uh, and His Spirit is making this truth, this reality, known to us and helping us believe it. And, you know, just guiding us and leading us in that way. Therefore, being always of good courage, so because he's motivated, because he has good courage, because of what he knows to be true, knowing that while we're at, ha at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord, we have to walk by faith. That's how we live. Now, we have to walk by faith because we know the truth and we believe it. And so now we walk by faith, not by sight. Appearances are, you know, that everything's bad. The world's falling apart that we're not going to make it, that we're just going to die, and there's nothing past that. But he's saying, no, no, we walk by faith and the truth, we, not by what's in front of you, not by what you, only what you can see. And so, verse 8, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And so even when... He does get executed. He was martyred uh, about 10 years after this, probably. He said, great, I'll be at home with the Lord. That's what he was saying when he was in the jail at Rome, and he wrote to the church at Philippi, I'm looking forward to that, to being at home with the Lord. That's what keeps me going. That's my ambition. And so... Uh, next week, uh, we will see what goes along with that resurrection in chapter 5, verse 10, is what's called, you may not have ever studied this before, you may have, called the Bema Seat Judgment. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's the judgment that will be given Christians. We won't be judged for sin because that's been atoned for by Christ. That's already been forgiven. But we will be judged for what we did after we believed in Christ. So your life, your post-Christ life, post-Christian life, what did you do? How did you serve Christ? How did you obey Him then? And that will be that judgment. And it's a very interesting topic, and we'll be there next week. Let me close with this. this God gave us this earthly body to temporarily house our spirit, but we long for what's better. We're looking forward to our resurrection body. That's really where it's at. 
And I remember, you know, thinking about that, a sermon that E.V. Hill gave years ago that I always go back to when I think of the resurrection, this famous sermon. Uh, E.V. Hill said, I reached the height of my profession, a large growing church. He was a minister there, I think, in California. I had a large growing church. I wrote books. I had TV shows, radio shows. I had a new home in an affluent neighborhood, a brand new car. I should have felt like I had it all, like I had it made. But I didn't. I wanted something else. And one Sunday after I preached, I looked out at my uh, congregation and my beautiful church with all the, the large choir who sung so well, and I thought, this ain't it. I actually longed for the glory of the temple in heaven with the choir of angels singing. This ain't it. And then when I was driving home in my new Cadillac with its smooth ride and new car smell, I realized this ain't it. I longed for the chariots of fire to carry me to heaven like they did Elijah. And then I was riding down the paved street to my house, new neighborhood with all this beautiful landscaping, and I said, this ain't it. The streets of heaven are paved in gold. That's it. And I admired my new house as I was going into it, and I realized this ain't it. Jesus has prepared a mansion in heaven for me, as he promised. And, you know, before we eat lunch, I usually go in and work out in my workout room with my new equipment, and I've got mirrors on the wall, and I was looking at my fit body in the mirror, and I said, this ain't it. <laughs> this body is going to decay. It's going to break down. But I desire the resurrection body that God has guaranteed me. Now that's it. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with these promises, with the truth, motivates us to live now for you, knowing what you're going to do for us in the future. We look forward to eternal life in heaven with the new and better eternal body, and we praise you in advance for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <laughs>